Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to share the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Christy McWilliams and Rick Gentry about the nonprofit vertical. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed. And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by Christy and Rick to talk about all things related to nonprofit. Christy McWilliams is a vice president in the customer strategy group and the nonprofit vertical lead at Merkle. She has been working in nonprofit fundraising and marketing for over two decades. Rick Gentry is enjoying his almost 30th year specializing in nonprofit fundraising with a focus on digital constituent experience marketing. And he's developed that while both working at an international nonprofit and now consulting both national and international nonprofit and commercial clients at Merkle. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having us. So as a, a lead up to this topic for this episode, you know, we talk a lot in the digital marketing space from a retail and consumer first point of view, often because it's it's one of our largest verticals. But in the back half of this year, we really want to give more of a highlight to some of the other verticals that we have deep, deep knowledge and, and expertise on uh, it within Merkle. And they're just as interesting and have a lot of lessons to teach us. So to start with, can you guys outline what are nonprofits and what are the hurdles for nonprofits that are more distinct from other organizations? So I'm going to jump in and just give you the IRS's definition of an <laughs> exempt organization, a nonprofit. So a charitable organization, part of the IRS's code 501c3. So that really relates to or describes organizations that are organized and operated exclusively for charitable, religious, scientific, so research, testing for public safety, literary, educational, or other specified purposes. So essentially, that's the big organizations that focus on arts, education, healthcare, medical research, etc. Does include some religious organizations as well, and some private foundations too. So this type of organization allows for a donation, um, typically um, at least a portion of a donation to be given and to be claimed depending on your tax status as a tax deduction later, but certainly has a social benefit and arguably helps make the case for being a better human and, and helps move humanity forward. Rick, what have I said that's wrong and what do you want to add? No, I, mean, I, I think that's 100% right. I mean, if you summarize it, it, it's organizations dedicated to social good, right? And these are the groups that are out there trying to improve humanity and its environment, either from an, a one-on-one -on -one basis in some local organization. It could be your local PTA. It could be some group of folks who are pushing for a park in your local area, right the way up to international health and aid organizations, right, who are trying to save millions from starvation or find a cure to one of the leading diseases. So they really do stretch a wide gamut. And interestingly, if I'm not incorrect, Christy, I believe that nonprofit was Merkel's original vertical. 
So I think it's the, one mm. of the oldest verticals we've had within Ooh. in in the company. So it's, while small, it it has a deep history within our marketing. And I would say it's smaller than some of the other verticals. Right. So we do have a a large portfolio, very large nonprofits, a, a critical kind of mass of nonprofits, but. We really were pioneers in helping be very focused on measurable responses for direct marketing investment, because that's a really unique thing about nonprofits is that they need to put a demonstrable return in every dollar they spend. So that's a pretty broad statement, but by and large, they want to see a return for every dollar spent. So, you know, direct marketing is a perfect medium for that across lots of different channels, but very specifically grounded heavily in some of those legacy channels, starting with direct mail and really pioneering the use of direct mail to drive a critical mass of support for causes and to generate maximum revenue from individual donors across whatever geography, local, national, et cetera. As a consumer, you know, just out in the world, one of the ways I experience nonprofits differently from other organizations is things like social fundraisers, like Facebook fundraisers, where you can set up a fundraiser for your birthday and your friends on Facebook can can donate to it for you, which I think are really great products developed specifically for nonprofits on a lot of these very corporate focused or corporate forward pages. But I imagine that that also creates some difficulty around data connectivity and getting access to, to information from constituents, from nonprofits, uh, from the, these large platforms. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some similarities and some differences, right? Similarities being that these days everybody wants to market to an individual, right? So many brands have begun their own individual marketing. In nonprofit, that's always been the, the modus, right, is to connect with the individual. We're increasingly hearing brands that want to have their own websites and want to have their own communications, where they previously done it all via big box retailers. So they're on a learning curve, which is something where nonprofit has been for decades. So it's actually the opposite way around, really. I think one of the other things we can touch on is just, you know, when you talk about consumer products, choosing to buy a car, you may have six to seven brands that you could choose from. Um, if you're choosing to buy insurance, you just need to choose which insurance company because you have to have insurance on that car. So you're really just battling to see which insurance company you're going to go with. But when it comes to nonprofits, first of all, the spectrum is massive, right? You're being asked to give from your kids PTA to your local community, to your broader state, to an international issue, right? There's a lot of people asking you for money on a constant basis. And so there's definitely far more competition for a nonprofit to stand out. Um, at the end of the day, nobody has to donate, right? It's not like insurance. You don't have to have it. So we're having to appeal to folks in a very unique way, right, that gets them to respond as a, I want to do this, not that I have to do this. So. It almost seems like the most pure marketing challenge compared to a company that has an actual like good to sell you or like what you're talking about, like one of those companies that has a fixed good to sell you that you have to purchase. And this is like, not only is it not a fixed good, you also do not have to purchase and you are only being given the intangible feel good aspect of it. So like the true value prop and the copy, like all of that seems way more important in nonprofit than any other vertical. We, we make that argument often. It's not necessarily accepted by all <laughs> industries, right? But yeah, that, that is part of what we argue on a, 
on an ongoing basis and our challenges are quite unique. And I think it's reflected in the marketplace, right? The fact that the United States Postal Service gives nonprofits a discount, the fact that Facebook, while has created some challenges by data sharing, on the other hand, doesn't charge nonprofits when they do process donations. And Google offers grants to nonprofits for, for free advertising. They do that in recognition of the fact that this vertical is different from others, right? They're not cutting any deals to commercial brands, but they know that these do something over and above and that the business model is different. And so I think that's why they make some of those allowances. Are there any other differences or challenges when you're working on a nonprofit account versus a retail account? Like the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, working on retail, sometimes budget just comes out of nowhere or <laughs> they have to, they have to make a certain amount of profit each year. Like I immediately think of like budget management is probably very, very different in nonprofit versus other channels, but I'm sure there's other differences as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll give you that maybe one of the most substantive differences is that, you know, nonprofits exist to change something in society and that requires a certain level of funding no matter what your issue is right if you are trying to build a local park you need the finances to do that and in return you don't get to give a tangible benefit to that donor in our case what would be for a retailer or consumer they don't get to walk away necessarily with something in their hand they get to walk away with something in their heart right it is a very emotional thing that appeals to how you want to see the world in the future but for a nonprofit, that makes for a tough business model because for many organizations who are dealing with chronic issues that have existed for many, many years, they need to go back to that well of supporters and ask for a donation without giving them that tangible product year after year. And so if you think about, you know, we can use the classic example of an iPhone, right, where Apple gets to reinvent its product every year with a, a further upgrade, a nonprofit gets to go back every year with that same mission in hand and say to people, this is why it's still critical. This is why I need you to invest in us. And as such, they also can't afford to, to operate in any way at a loss, so as to speak. So, you know, if you're an IT startup, you know, we've, we've heard the story. So many of them operate at a loss for an extended period of time as they build up their product. In a nonprofit's world, because you're actually trying to change something, you need to operate your budget in a way that you're seeing that net benefit at the end of the day to all of the work you're doing. So that's clearly a budget difference between a, a for-profit group and a non-profit one. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, there are a couple other things I would add. So along the lines of that net and the impact that the nonprofit is having, nonprofits get rated by third-party sort of watchdog organizations, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is a complicated set of variables that will allow you to be a you know multi-starred highly rated charity or a lower rated charity. And consumers use these charity kind of watchdog ratings to decide where to invest their, their fundraising dollars. And so it's really a balance. And one of the variables, and, and this may be changing as sort of lots of things are changing these days, but one of the big variables has been the cost of fundraising for nonprofits. And so the higher your cost is, irrespective of what your impact is, that can rank you a little bit lower or, or a lot bit lower if it's a really unequal spend to impact and or spend to revenue. And so that is a complication for nonprofits that, you know, arguably commercial organizations don't have in the same way. 
I mean, sure, there are probably growing bodies of people that are looking at how different commercial brands operate and their sustainability models or their social impact footprint or you know, whatever it is, CEO compensation models, but it really is an issue for nonprofits in terms of how they are ranked and rated by these watchdog groups. So what additional difference is that in a nonprofit, there are typically two primary owners of mass market communication and budgets. And one of them is the chief development officer, and they own all of the, typically all of the fundraising from the $10 direct mail donation to online giving, right? Within reason here, hear me out. And to the big, you know, six and seven figure gifts that are, you know, personally set around the table, discussed for, you know, maybe multiple years and then brought to fruition. Their colleague in the C-suite, the chief marketing officer, is responsible for awareness building and for the mission in terms of connecting people with services, for example. And the complication is that typically the chief marketing officer has responsibility and ownership of the website and of all digital properties, right? So that makes it a little bit complicated because the chief development officer, the chief fundraising officer, really obviously needs that medium, that um, platform to be able to connect and to drive as much revenue as possible. So what's really important is that the best, most successful nonprofits have partners in that arena. The chief development officer and the chief marketing officer really work hand in hand, in and out of each other's pockets, so to speak. So they're really moving the investments forward and really thinking more broadly about how they create the relationships and the experience across the enterprise. That doesn't always happen. Some organizations work more closely than others. As, you know, That's just a natural part of life and, and work. So, And it is an historical change, I think, that's gone on because for, for decades, most of the fundraising was done via direct mail, which is obviously a channel that Merkel has a lot of experience in. But we've sort of helped our partners as they begin to move into this new age of, of digital. And that's where suddenly we've had these two uh, departments need to meet. They, they never really had much interest in direct mail in the past in, in the marketing and, and communication side. But obviously the website is now forward-facing to both an, an organization's audience, its constituents that it may be trying to help, as well as to the uh, constituents that it's trying to engage, as well as to the constituents who they're looking to fund that work. So suddenly everybody has to get together and share that audience through these singular mediums at times. And that creates an interesting dynamic, which I think we've, we've helped several groups manage the way through, but there are still many more that have to have to face that transition. So this is actually kind of like the perfect segue into my next question. And one thing we really did want to touch on is how Merkel thinks about nonprofits and specifically what is the premise of nonprofit profit marketing and why is marketing important to nonprofit organizations? Whoa, that's a big question. So I think it, the answer is that Merkel thinks about nonprofits, you know, obviously they're they're a critical functioning kind of arm of a successful society, right? So what we want to do is help our clients thrive in the areas where 
They are most successful, continue to drive success forward. But we also, because of our cross vertical, our deep chops across all the different commercial verticals and service verticals and and that sort of thing, what we really want to do is bring that knowledge to bear for nonprofits to help them move and evolve the way they think about the experience that they're delivering, the way they think about the relationships that they're building, the way they use decisioning to make the right next offer to their donors, to their volunteers, to whomever is receiving services from them. So, you know, I think it's a spectrum. Some organizations are much farther along in that curve than others that use sort of an omni-channel planning and the full complement of development and marketing working together to think about those things. Technology as a partner, the chief technology officer in nonprofits. Not all nonprofits are there, though. They are starting to lean into how they think about that. That's really what Merkel is thinking. How do we think about macro trends? How do we think about cross-vertical successes and knowledge and skill sets and capabilities? And then how do we put that to work for some organizations that are funding some of the most important things in our world today? So I would say largely it's about how we help those nonprofits continue to evolve. The pandemic was very unkind to many nonprofits, both in terms of fundraising, you know, like many other industries, nonprofits had a problem when events were unable to be held in-person events, which is a very large fundraising channel for many. That became a very, that blew a big hole in a lot of organizations' revenue streams. And so they really had to rethink how they thought about their revenue mix and their spend and their media mix and how they planned everything. And so it's forced some of them more quickly into an evolution. And then some of them are less not less willing, but they're less able because they just don't have the structures or the technology or the capabilities internally to deliver on that yet. So that's what Merkel's trying to do is say, we've got that core DNA of fundraising down. We have deep bench experience in that, but we also have all these other capabilities that will help you begin to evolve the experience for what consumers you know, expect now. And that that expectation is constantly growing and changing. And so the velocity with which you change has to evolve as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's something that is, is really unique to Merkel, though, because, you know, having worked in a nonprofit, I worked in a nonprofit myself for, for about 15 years. You know, one of the challenges you face is because of those budgetary concerns, you're operating on a shoestring and you don't necessarily have the resources and the expertise that you need to make everything work well. Where I think a, an agency like Merkel, just because of the depth and scope of the company, you know, we have the data analysts, we have the tech stack folks, we have the creative folks, we have the strategy folks. So we can bring all the components together. So even if a client may be working us in one unique area, as they need to branch out, we have the expertise that we can go and help. And some of these folks are helping multi-billion dollar corporations and some of them are doing nonprofits for 20 years. So you bring that all together, I think that's how the evolving constituent experience really gets pulled together is that sort of breaking down of the silos, which for us is natural because we're in a company that doesn't have those silos. We've always worked shoulder to shoulder, but for nonprofits, it's sort of, we can connect you with the right people to help you break down those silos as well. And that's becoming crucial, right? It's sort of the constituent expectation has risen greatly. And so what they expect from Starbucks and from Amazon, they are beginning to expect from nonprofits as well. And that definitely requires them to step up their game. 
Christy, I'm interested in what you are alluding to for you know some of the evolutions in in some nonprofits, particularly from the the pandemic. I don't know if you guys have any examples offhand of things that you've seen change in the industry that have been really cool examples of things that have come out uh, and are now kind of like status quo and next level expectations. But if you have any examples, we'd love to hear about them. Ooh, that is a also another loaded question. Great panel here, guys, <laughs> with the, the loaded questions. Uh, so I will say that, you know, one of the things that everybody, all organizations, commercial and nonprofits did as well, they had to reevaluate where the real money was and what were the what are the programs that are generating the revenue that are really where you should spend your resource and where you should really invest more. And so, you know, given the breadth of the analytics resources and the data understanding and kind of that, I'll call it a little bit of next level budgeting that Merkel is able to bring to the table. We're able to say, let's let's really push into these particular audiences or these particular programs within your organizations. Some of them sound kind of unexciting, but they're so important. I'll give you an example. One of our large clients used to have a huge events program. And as we talked about events, really through no fault of this organization, were you know, really challenged by the pandemic. And like many, they had to figure out where to go next. And some organizations went to more diversification digitally, really adding layers like connected TV and other types of media to help really just make sure they were influencing and really touching their donors and their prospective donors, you know, just sort of across the ecosystem, wherever those donors were. But other organizations looked at things like planned giving, which is people leaving organizations in their will. And it's a huge important, it's a hugely important part of many nonprofits. It takes a very long time for those types of relationships to work. And those gifts come in 10 or 20 years down the line from acquiring a donor, but they really have powerful impact. And that really shows the importance of making sure you're developing a relationship and an experience for a donor that keeps them very close to you because planned giving being so important, uh, particularly in light of losing some revenue because of canceled events and that sort of thing. That relationship today becomes very important because 20 years from now, think about the consumers that are out there today and what their expectations are. So really making sure that even though you may be dealing with a more traditional fundraising thing that's um, really important to your organization, that experience and how you engage with those donors across the entire ecosystem of how they work and engage with brands becomes more important today. So it's not just a short-term plan. It really is a long game for nonprofits, uh, for any brand, but for nonprofits, um, it's not uncomplicated to pull all of the levers together for any brand, but nonprofits have um, a particular legacy of having some silos that are a little bit more difficult for them to overcome. Is that a fun answer? I don't even know if that's a great answer for you, but I think that's a it's real good. answer. Rick, what else did I miss? You probably have no. some really fun woo <laughs> thing to share. No, not really. I mean, I think what many groups had to do was to pivot to be more constituent focused, right? So I think non-profits have always been on the leading edge of trying to build donor retention because they rely on, on supporters coming back year after year to continue supporting their mission. But 
there have benefited over the years from a, a demographic perspective. There was a generation where giving, I think, was a little bit more entrenched in, in, in their upbringing. And that, I think, has changed over the years. And I think what some nonprofits have already been lagging during the pandemic realized that they had to begin to engage more. So through their social channels, through their interactivity over the organization, through the digital assets they were bringing to the market, they needed to step it up and make it far more interactive for their constituents. And that was a change in, in mindset from possibly being a sit back and we'll tell you what you do and you support us to, a, hey, let's engage with you. Tell us what you what's important to you. We'll tell you what we're working on and sort of more forums where supporters could have that interaction back and forth with the organization. So I think that was a transition and that's a transition for good, right? It's a little bit more burdensome on the organization. But I think as we look at the next generation of supporters, they're going to appreciate far more that uh, ability to actually connect with the organization and, and sort of be a part of what they're doing. I think um, I just a stat that I learned yesterday, which surprised me, maybe no one else will be surprised on this call, but that 51% of GDP is now driven by millennials and Gen Z. And that means that's that's a real tipping point, right? And so thinking about, I also saw a you know, hey millennial who's about to turn forty, right? So um, it, that is really a, it's a real tipping point for us to think about how to engage younger audiences in our missions. And some nonprofits do that very well, and some are trying to figure that out, um, and it's a little more complex for them because they've really relied on sort of that greatest generation, you know, where, you know, as Rick said, it was like the right thing to do. So that's why I give it's in my DNA kind of thing versus, you know, you really have to like, you kind of have to earn my donation, right? Like I think, great, you're doing great work, but tell me how you're using it. Keep me engaged. How am I making an impact with my $25, $50 donation? And I'll, and I'll lean into this a little bit too, like the commercial world, is really, I think, influencing too what happens. Obviously, they're influencing consumer behavior and what they're able to deliver for an experience. But we now see commercial brands really pushing into the social impact space and leveraging, you know, either a good partnership with nonprofits that they are, you know, donating portions of profits and giving corporate gifts or having a buy one, get one model, right? So thinking through all of the ways that younger consumers who may not have super deep pockets, particularly in this inflationary moment, it's a really important thing for us to think about new ways to engage them, irrespective of what you know type of nonprofit you are. We really have to think through that. And the moment has Moment has passed. We are now 51% GDP from people under 40. So uh, it's more than past time to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I think what, you know, we touched on this earlier that something else that is, I think, really separates nonprofit organizations is just there is an abundance and it constantly grows of causes that are asking for your support. And that can be from your kid's band that needs to raise additional money for instruments to your local food bank, to your national organization that's trying to address a disease, to an international organization that's trying to help people in some crisis. There are a lot of places that supporters are being called to ask. And there are more organizations stepping up to try and fill those needs all the time. So as a nonprofit, as you look at that audience that is highly engaged on social channels, 
you really do have to be engaged and, and differentiate yourself in order to get them to, to pick you, right? They have so many options, so many people asking on a daily basis from point of sale to digital media to canvases in the streets. You really have to be able to differentiate yourself and know which tools to use in order to reach out to that audience and get them to select you as their charity of choice. So we are we're recording this episode in late July. Fiscal year starts right around the corner in, you know, what we think of as like traditional retail Q4. That's like Q1 for, for nonprofits. So it begs the topic of talking about like budgeting and decisions and marketing plans. And so I'm wondering, we think of certain channels as like being at your disposal when it comes to other verticals or certain KPIs that you are typically using to budget for or plan against. Does the development of budgets and marketing plans differ significantly for for nonprofits versus commercial organizations? And if so, how? (laughs) I I would say that at the very heart of it, there are some similarities, right? A a nonprofit is always sort of bucketing their budget into two pieces, right? One is retaining your existing supporters, those folks who, who have given to you in the past, some of them many years, or some of them, this may be the first time they've ever given to you. And then acquisition, right? Bringing in new people to support your organization. And it's always a challenge because ultimately not everybody who gives to you will give again. I think, in fact, some groups see around only 50% of donors make a second gift to them. So about half of folks make one gift and never support them again. So you're never going to be able to rely solely on your retention. You have to do acquisition as well to keep on building up that organization. And some of those people you acquire will go on to be lifetime donors. Some of them will go on to give for a, a constrained period of time. So in that respect, it's not too dissimilar from a commercial company, right, that wants to obviously keep the people who are buying their products loyal and get new people to buy their products. I think sometimes the difference being like, as we spoke about earlier, is that a nonprofit has to do that without not necessarily being able to reinvent themselves. Their cause will remain the same. Their case for giving, well, you know, which probably be what we would call a value proposition for a, for a commercial group and a nonprofit to be their case for giving, will remain the same. So they then have to see, well, my retention is probably my, my bigger challenge in terms of I can't tell you that I'm going to do anything different. I can tell you the success I've had and hope that that's inspiring enough. Whereas a commercial product, they can say, well, last time you you bought from me because it was this, but now I have a new and updated version. So I think when it comes to budgeting, there's always striking that balance between the two. Where do I put the money? And as the economy changes, sometimes organizations change their priorities, right? As to, well, retention tends to deliver me a higher immediate ROI so as I invest that money, I get my, my money back in pocket much quicker. And when times are hard, that may be more important to me. Um, but, you know, the mistake I think Christy can speak to as well is some groups will pull back too much and say, well, right now, because times are hard, I want to put all my money into retention or the bulk of my money into retention because I want to have cash in hand. And if you do that a couple of years down the road, when whatever the crisis is, has passed, you're going to face another crisis because you didn't acquire enough folks to keep your file alive throughout the long term. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, as we think about budgeting, it's really about starting with a base of understanding what your active donors are. That really allows us to say, this is what you can 
produce and revenue, like starting there. So it's not really pie in the sky. It's not starting and saying, well, we made $40 million last year. We're going to make 42 million this year. Well, but it's not, it's not that easy. It's will your file today allow you to do that? And if it doesn't, how many new donors do you need to bring in to help close that gap? And how much more do you have to spend on that? So it's a constant, you know, filling from the top. And I'd also say that there are metrics that have different priorities for nonprofits. So the metric in, say, digital for nonprofits is mostly a conversion to donation when you're looking on the fundraising side of the house. It's not about, you know, yes, okay, signing up for email or something like that might be considered a conversion. But donors or nonprofits are looking for donors to make a gift with, you know, very little spend on them. And so the the tolerance and the building of the funnel, I think, is possibly a harder conversation for nonprofits because it is a loss leader, so to speak. You are investing. It is a longer term thing. And especially in moments like today, it is tempting for them to say, I need to conserve as much spend or as much net revenue as possible. So acquisition is a harder thing for me to bite off and sell internally, but it's it's so important. So what, on the flip side of that, it's us saying for those who are a little farther behind in terms of the curve of using attribution to plan your to plan your investment strategy and those kinds of things, really trying to bring up your systems and team structures um, and skill sets to be able to leverage that kind of an approach to budgeting, attribution, et cetera, will help you really understand where you can cut back where there's really unproductive spend to really look at where the the real money should be spent. And so it is a constant battle. It's not selling the newest sweater for the holidays, which everybody loves and it's fun and it's pretty, but it's, oh my gosh, I really need to fund X amount of research or send X amount of kids to, you know, to like get backpacks for X amount of kids next year. It has real impact on, on those decisions. And so it's, it can be a real battle, I think, for some nonprofits to hold on to, to some of the investments, especially in these tight markets. So this kind of actually is a nice transition to our next question. And we've already touched on this a little bit, both in terms of the responses related to the economy and then also the pandemic. But what are some other impacts that nonprofits are, are seeing or feeling from different industry topics that we've been dealing with, even outside of marketing? So inflation, legislation, those sorts of things. So I'll speak to the inflation thing for a moment. So we've been doing a lot of research on kind of the economic headwinds of what's happening. And what we know is that nonprofits, nonprofit giving is not keeping up with inflation. And what we also know is that discretionary income often is responsible for the funding of finding of making a donation to a new organization. And when you're in these moments where inflation is just driving the cost of like your basics, your housing, your gas, your food up so substantially, it makes it more complicated and more expensive for nonprofits to find donors. It then makes it more expensive for them to say, well, I can say I'm going to fund this research or I'm going to send this many backpacks to kids next year. It has a cascading effect. And so I think that's a real important macro trend. Right now, it's hitting people who are maybe households with incomes of say under $100,000 is where we see that happening. And I heard another stat yesterday that at that level for households that are making an annual salary of under $100,000, they're spending basically just on those three things, gas, food, and housing, an extra $5,000, $4,500 to $5,000 out of pocket just to fund those things that are basic life 
things. And so that leaves very little discretionary income to say, oh, I want to give to this new organization or a friend who's really involved with, you know, the Special Olympics has asked me to make a gift on their behalf or something along those lines, that makes it harder to make that happen. And so that's a real challenge. And then the supply chain thing is very significant. It's costing everybody a lot more to do everything. Nonprofits still rely heavily on direct mail as a revenue generator. And that just is very expensive to do in the current environment comparatively, right? It's much more expensive than it used to be. So what I'll just use, if you spent 50 cents before, it's probably like you're spending 75 cents now. I don't know if that's the exact math, but think about how much of an impact that has on when you depend on the scale of how many people you're reaching, it substantially can reduce that. So the impact on nonprofits has a a longer tail. COVID, we saw that there were medical research organizations that you know, where medical research wasn't happening during a certain part of the pandemic because labs were closed. Well, that, who knows what kind of impact that has on the longer tail of a disease being cured or new treatment developing. So it has a real life impact. Economic trends are particularly hard. During COVID, there was actually some strength in fundraising because I think there was a lot of empathy for, for people and folks wanted to do the right thing. I think when it comes to an economic crisis, it's slightly different in so much that as Christy said, for some of our, our, our organizations that we work with, it's actually much more expensive for them to do the work they do, right? We work with the National Housing Organization. It's way more expensive them to now to secure the materials. At the same time, our experience with fundraising is that when you bring these challenges front and center to your supporters, they don't actually respond very favorably to that. And that's probably because they're living that same economic crisis. And so whilst on the one hand, you want to say to them, we need your support now more than ever because of these these factors, that's also a reminder to those same individuals that those factors are impacting them as well. And so that can actually suppress performance. And so you have a dilemma that you need that help more than ever, but you have to be quite careful about how you position it to the audience so that they don't turn the sympathy from who they want to help to themselves and actually reduce their support. And I think that's where really being able to target your message has a lot of impact because that message to a certain audience is going to be completely anathema to them. They're going to say, I, you don't understand the boat that I'm in clearly when you're coming to me with that ask. Conversely, there are donors that have are less impacted by these economic headwinds. And that might be the perfect um, message for somebody who is more insulated from the inflationary forces to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to dig a little deeper and I'm going to give a little more, right? And I'll get a bigger tax deduction next year. But at the same time, I'm having a little bit more impact on a cause that I really care about. So really developing those relationships and an understanding of why a donor gives and what their capacity and their real value in that relationship is, is really important here as well. And that, that's a great example of how you can use that powerfully either to a negative effect or for a positive gain. As we close out this episode, any thoughts or main takeaways that you all want you know, our listeners to walk away from this thinking about? One of my things is um, buckle up, buttercup. You know, like you don't know what's going to happen. You can only do the best with what you know today with making some smart forecasting for the future. But don't cut off 
the forward progress just to save your way to safety today. That is what I would say. There has to still be that willingness to identify technology or platforms, methodology, skill sets, capabilities. You need to still move those forward as difficult as that conversation can be so that when we are out of this moment, you are not further behind the curve coming out of it. I mean, I could add something philosophical from a perspective of that. I think, Ooh. you know, you, you, groups like Merca will always be here to support great nonprofits to do great work, and there'll always be nonprofits trying to change society. I think the challenge is always looking at society itself and saying, how much can you do to help us improve the world? You know, the percentage of GDP that is donated annually hasn't changed since World War II. That doesn't mean that people aren't philanthropic by nature. They might not just have philanthropy front and center for them. And so I think the challenge is both to organizations and to agencies and to the public is let's all step up. If we want to make a better society, we all have to take a role in that. Christy, Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. It really was a pleasure speaking with you and sharing your knowledge about the nonprofit vertical. Super, super interesting stuff. Thanks for having us. That brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for an episode for this season, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merkelink.com. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well as rate and review our show. It helps others find us and please tell a friend. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Zagurski. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Drew Flowerday, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop and Andrea Ratner. Tune in next time. And until then, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.